the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. One of the things that the enemy works the hardest to keep you from embracing is the truth of who you are in Christ. Because if he can keep you from the truth of who you are in Christ, you'll never ever be able to embrace our God. You won't ever feel like you can ever be free in his presence. The reason we run from Him is because we don't know who we are in Christ Jesus. And the truth is that the only one who sees us for who we are is Christ. Because we see our failings and we see our mistakes and we see all the things that we've done and we see the inequities and we see the selfishness, we see the pride and we see it all and we think, you know what, that's who I am. But God says no. God says no. And one of the greatest needs we've got is to be reminded of who we are, but there's only one who can speak it to us so that we can embrace it and it becomes life to us. And that's our God. And you know what? When we're afraid, and when we're despairing, and when we're complaining, and when we're doubting, and when we're fearing, and when we have anxiety, and when we're stressed, the greatest thing that we need to know at that point is who we are and who He is. Because every one of these things is a symptom of unbelief. Every one of these things is you being diverted and distracted from the relationship that you have entered into. You've misinterpreted what God has for you and who He is to you. We are in the third chapter of Romans. And we're going to begin that tonight. And the third chapter of Romans continues to speak to the Jews. Of course, we can take a lot away from it. But Paul's speaking directly to the Jews who have literally not only forgotten who they are, but misinterpreted the value of who they are. And have become so well acquainted with who they think they are that they're not willing to let go of it to embrace the truth. Now, can you identify with that? Have you been so convinced about who you are that you have not been willing to embrace the truth? Well, I guarantee you have. Every time you've been bitter and angry, you've forgotten who you are. Starting the third chapter of Romans, 
And in chapter 1, we went through back through chapter 1, Paul is making it clear that man is sinful. And we talked about that a great deal. Now, how many sins does it take to make a man sinful? None. None. Not one, but zero. And why is that? We're born sinful. It's a birth problem. We are literally born into sin. It's our lineage. It's our heritage. It's not something we can change by, by our behavior. The behavior is simply a fruit of the root. That's why we had to become a new creation. That's why Jesus said, ye must be born again. Chapter 1, Paul's very clear about the fact that man is sinful and needs to be born again. And then in chapter 2, Paul talks to the Jew. And he basically dissects the Jewish claim to righteousness. That claim was based on tradition, it was based on ritual, and it was based on lineage. And Paul demonstrates something here. Towards the end of chapter 2, he demonstrates, now get, hear me, there is no spiritual advantage to being a Jew. There is no spiritual advantage to being a Jew. Now, do you think that might have raised some eyebrows? Do you think that might have upset some people? Even the Christian Jew still probably had it lingering in their head that somehow being a Jew had a spiritual edge on those who were non-Jews. But, Paul makes it clear. Read through the last part of chapter 2. Is there any advantage? No, there's not. There's not. Well, now that he has said that, he says in Romans 2.29, he makes this statement. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. A true circumcision is of the heart, a spiritual and not a literal matter. His praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, he says you can have your traditions, your religious rites, you can be circumcised and be entrusted with the law and still be condemned before God. Because unless you have a relationship with Him that is based in faith, these things are but symbols, not substance. And that's the truth of these rites apart from faith. There is no bond kept by man that can make you righteous. There is no obedience apart from faith. And God's promises all require a believing heart of faith in order to be appropriated. How do we become Christians? By faith. How do we live this life? By faith. And apart from faith, there is no appropriating the power or the life of Christ even in the Christian. The Christian, when he is walking outside of the truth of who he is, when he has forgotten who he is, it is because he has become unbelieving. Unbelieving. The reason that they did not embrace all that God had given them was because of unbelief. Now, the first part of chapter 3 of Romans is said by many theologians and preachers to be one of the most difficult to understand and to teach. In my mind, no scripture is more difficult than the other. The bottom line is this. You do not understand or take in or comprehend scripture based on your study. 
You understand, comprehend, and take on Scripture by the work of the Spirit of God. So when we make these kinds of statements that this is a, this is a difficult passage, and it is somewhat difficult, but it's all, you know, you, you can kid yourself. I know John 3.16, I got that one figured. You do not. It's as big as God is. It is God's Word. You have an idea, you have the essence, and you have the revelation of what the Spirit has shown you. But let me tell you something, nothing about God is small. And there's not a single revelation in His Word that is simple, because He's not simple. But He brings it to us, and He makes it comprehensible, because we are simple. He made us that way. He made it. You know, all of life is that way, isn't it? All of life. We think we've got a handle on this little part of life or that little part of life. Now, I'm good at this or I'm good at that. We kid ourselves on these things. But the reality of it is, is that all of life is to begin and end in Him and has its purpose in Him. So therefore, there is nothing menial in your life. There is nothing small in your life. And you don't have a handle on any of it. God holds it. And God feeds it to you. And God nurtures you through it. We let pride and education convince us that somehow we got a better handle on life. But I'm going to tell you something. We can have life, but life has got us. And that life is Christ. He is our strength. He is our understanding. In chapter 3, Paul anticipates the objections that would be in the mind of the hearers as they hear him speak about the Jews, as he begins to articulate and dissect all that that they had been putting their hopes in and takes it apart, he's beginning in his mind, the Spirit of God is coming to him and saying, okay, Paul, I want you to address these questions because the Spirit of God knows us better than we know ourselves, doesn't he? He gets ahead of us. And he is already, in this passage, already ahead of the dissenters. He is already, Paul just takes on this devil's advocate position and asks the hard questions himself. Now, I know something about myself. When, I'm, when I am passionate about something, unless I've done a lot of study on it, I get passionate about an idea and I think I've got it all figured out and I'm going to run with it and I'm telling everybody how it should be and so forth. And I haven't thought through all of the opposing questions. And all it takes is just one person to come in and ask that one question. It just kind of unravels the whole thing. But I'm standing in pride. I'm not sure I want to back this truck up. I want to argue the thing out. Surely they must be wrong. Well, the Holy Spirit is very good in that He protects and brings forth the truth. And He says to Paul, there's three questions, or there's more than three actually. There's some questions I want you to ask, but we're going to address three of them. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. After saying all those things about the Jewish rites and their lineage and circumcision, that it is of no value, Paul starts in chapter 3, verse 1. Then what advantage remains to the Jew? How is he favored? Or what is the value or benefit of circumcision? In other words, if lineage, the possession of the law... And circumcision are of no value in making us righteous, then what is the advantage? What's in it for us? The issue here is really not about the Jew. The issue here is about the integrity of God. 
The issue here is about the character of God, the faithfulness of God. Because immediately, the Jew would point to scriptures such as Deuteronomy 14, verse 2, where God says to them, For you are a holy people, set apart to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a peculiar people to Himself, above all nations of the earth. Or Exodus 19, 6. Exodus 19.6 where he tells the Jew, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, consecrated, set apart to the worship of God. These are the words you shall speak to the Israelites. He's telling Moses. Now, they would say we are chosen of God. We are His people. How is it that He would not honor His promises of righteousness and salvation. Well, Romans 3, 2. Remember the original question? Are there any advantages to being a Jew at all? Is there an advantage to being Jewish? Paul answers his own question. Romans 3, 2. There's much in every way. And, and the Greek really makes expands that. And he says, in every conceivable way. In every way that you might think of. There's an advantage. To begin with, we're going to start with the principal one. To begin with, to the Jews were entrusted the oracles, the brief communications, the intentions, the utterances of God. When I entered into the marriage covenant with Sabra, I made some promises to honor her as my wife, to protect and provide, to have and to hold, etc. Some of you remember those I initially invited her into an intimate relationship with myself and sought to make every advantage within my means available to her in order to facilitate that relationship and to demonstrate my love for her and to show the world she was my wife. Do you understand the context of that? When I entered into that covenant relationship with her, these were my commitments to her, my desire to her. Now Paul is naming the chief advantage, which is the Word of God. And I'm going to get back to that covenant relationship here in a minute. Okay? Now Paul is naming the chief advantage, that is the Word of God. And actually that word there is logia, which could be defined as Scripture accurately defined the scriptures it is god giving these people every opportunity to participate in a relationship with him starting with communication of who he is and his character and how to know him and how to worship him do you see god pursuing them you see we say well he gave them the law well immediately we're just thinking about how he hammered them over the head with something to do that they couldn't do but the reality of it is that God gave them a template of his character God showed them how they could participate in worship with him how they could approach him to the degree that they could how they could enter into the presence of God literally the Shekinah the glory of God with him they didn't enter into to them yet, how they could literally embrace a relationship with God. All of that was inherent in the Word of God. This was God pursuing the Jew. He wanted to show him who he was. He wanted them to know his character, and they wanted them to know how to worship him. In Romans chapter 9, verse 4, 
Paul says, For they are Israelites, and to them belong God's adoption as a nation. And the glorious presence, Shekinah, with them were the special covenants made, to them was the law given, to them the temple worship was revealed, and God's own promises announced. Does that sound like God disregarded them? Does that sound like a light, flippant relationship to you? No. I want you to see this for what it is. I don't want you just to see it as God saying, okay, I like this group of people over here, so I'm going to, I'm going to favor them. I'm just going to give them all of these blessings. No, what it is is a God who longs for intimacy, God who desires relationship, picked these people and said, I will condescend to reveal myself to this nation, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. And part of that will be that I will reveal myself to them. I will nurture them in truth. I will give them my word. I will protect them. I will provide for them. But these things are the fruit of the relationship. They are not the cause. Does that make sense? You see, God is love. And He began by expressing His love on a national level, if you will, on a level that encompassed a nation, the Jewish nation. Now, I want you to begin to see that there's a correlation between the covenant that God made with the Jew and God made with the child of God. He gave them His presence. It was not in them, but it was about them. He called them to be in His presence. That's huge. This was a special, unique work of God as He literally condescended to invite man into a covenant relationship. Now getting back to my covenant with with Sabra as my wife. If my wife is unfaithful to me and ignores our relationship, but yet prizes the ring that is a symbol of that relationship, and my name as her designation as my wife, the ring and the name would be worthless, wouldn't it? It would. It would be worthless to her, and in fact it would grieve me because she refused to enter into the relationship that those things represent. Wouldn't it? What we have here is a picture of Israel. Amos 3.2 says, God speaking to them, You only have I known. God says to Israel, You only have I known. Chosen, sympathized with, and loved of all the families of the earth. You only have I known. God declaring His celibacy. God declaring His faithfulness. God declaring this as His true love. You only have I known. You only have I revealed Myself. You only have I nurtured. You only have I cherished. I have not gone to all nations with this same offer. I have embraced you and you alone. Does this sound like a flippant God? Does this sound like a relationship that He wants this from them? And he wants them just to simply recognize that he is God and they, they appreciate all that he gives them in the way of assistance and deliverance and salvation and live their own lives. Does that sound like the plan? 
It sounds like it's a little more personal, doesn't it? It sounds like it's pretty intimate. It sounds like it's passionate. And God says, and I want you to remember this, this is a covenant that He's made. Now, do you remember what the truth of a covenant is? It's something you married people better remember. Okay, because you entered into a covenant whether you thought it was one or not before God. And a covenant is dependent not on the other person, but on the one who made it. So, what did God do? He said, I will call you my own. I will love you. I will protect you. I will keep you. I will save you. I will provide salvation. I will literally clothe you in righteousness. I will declare you as my own special child. I will make you into a special people that will be celebrated throughout the earth and eternity. You will be bearers of my glory. That's what I'm going to do. I want you to enter into that relationship with me. Now, what did Israel have to do? Well, we would say, well, Israel had to believe. Does that sound right to you? No. He didn't have to believe. God didn't say if. God said He would. And it was dependent upon God, not Israel. Now, are they going to be able to participate in all that God gave them? Well, if they refuse to believe the truth of the covenant, they'll only participate in a very small portion of it. Because you can say, I believe God is my provision. But the truth of the matter comes when no visible means of support is surrounding you. And where do you look? This covenant that God made with Israel was totally dependent upon God. Totally dependent upon God. If they would but believe, they would enter in. Not that they would have, because they had, because He gave it to them. But they would enter into the truth of it, if they would but believe. Now with that word where he says in Amos 3.2, he says, You only have I known. I want you to understand that word is indicating intimacy. And we see that over and over again in the Old Testament. And even in the Gospels you see it being used as, as it says, And she knew not a man. It's speaking of intimacy. And God is using that same word. This is not an intellectual understanding. He says, you only have I known. And all through the Old Testament, we see God speaking of Israel as a wayward wife, don't we? As an adulterous wife. He's never once been unfaithful to His desire for her, but she has rejected Him for her own pursuits. Now, the adultery in this case was not with a strange God, but it was with religious pride and presumption that made their relationship with God one in name only and caused them to glory in themselves. The law became a tool to manipulate and a means to establish their own righteousness. They loved the law for its promises. They believed that the possession and study of it would entitle them to eternal life. But they would not receive the author of life. You see, it's real easy, isn't it? We do this in our, our marriages sometimes. We take the relationship for granted and we become focused in what the relationship gives us rather than the truth of the relationship. We lose the value of it. It becomes more of a give and take than it does a union. 
And this is what was going on with Israel. They were not in an intimate relationship. They were in a give and take. And they based it solely on the law. And they based it on their heritage. And they had to base it primarily on externals. Because there had been no internal work. And because there was no intimacy between them and God. God was intimate, but they were not. Now, does that sound familiar? He says, you and you only have I known. that God is being intimate. Is Israel being faithful? No. You I have cherished. Is Israel cherishing God? Sometimes. But more often, they're cherishing the fact that they're Jewish. They're cherishing their traditions. They're cherishing the law. They're cherishing a lot of things. The fruit of the relationship, rather than the relationship, the rights. Because you know what? In those things, man can have a standing. In those things, man makes it happen. Right? The covenant was not based on what man brought to the game. It's based on God Himself and God alone. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.